decided to schedule his final round of golf. He'd been playing golf for over 60 years. And on his final round of golf, this man in his 90s hit his first hole-in-one. What a way to finish, right? Finish with a hole-in-one. He finished strong. Well, in our study this morning, as we close down our study of the book of Galatians, we're going to see that Paul finishes strong. He has some strong words for uh, the churches in Galatia and for us today. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to, con- to complete our study of this book. Galatians chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 9. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Thank you, choir and orchestra. That was wonderful. Praise the Lord that he has overcome. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. I want to ask you this morning if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And let us not, Paul writes, grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far... Be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one... Cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful for another opportunity to gather as a faith family. Lord, to sing praises to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to hear from your word applied to our lives by your spirit. It is a joy to gather today. We ask, Lord, that you would move in our midst, that we would leave this place different than when we walked in. May you get the glory and the honor and the praise. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Paul wrote this letter to a group of churches scattered throughout the first century Roman province of Galatia. And he's writing mainly to combat false teaching that had infiltrated the churches in that area. He was writing to defend the true gospel against the false gospels that were being proclaimed. He was writing to articulate the gospel of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's what this letter is about. And as he brings this letter to a close, he has some some closing strong words for the churches in that area. And these are closing strong words for us today. Uh, as uh, Claire and I transition 
to another ministry assignment. This will be my last sermon as the pastor here uh, in this pulpit. And these final words that Paul has written are so relevant to, to me and to the point. And so let's look together at these eight admonitions for a local church. Now, if you weren't here last week, I covered four of them last week. So it's not an eight-point sermon. Just relax, all right? It's a four-point sermon because we covered four last week. Last week, we uh, came to the conclusion from the text that we need to care for each other, prioritize the ministry of the Word of God, continue to love your pastor and staff well, and sow spiritual seeds. So what I want to do the rest of this sermon is share four more admonitions, encouragements, uh, from this text uh, so that we can walk away with some, some strong, uh, powerful, final words. Number five, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing What a relevant word for the point today, which has done so much good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Look what Paul writes there in verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Spiritual sowing can be tiring. Now, the, the context here is the, the, the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. Paul says it's irrevocable. If you sow fleshly things, you will reap fleshly things. If you sow spiritual things, you will reap spiritual rewards. We talked about that last week. And the point Paul's making here is this. When you're sowing spiritual things, when you're trying to live for the Lord and do the right thing and live for the glory of God, sometimes it can get tiring. Sometimes you can find yourself growing weary. In fact, that phrase there, let us not grow weary, that same phrase in the Greek is translated in other verses in the Bible as let us not lose heart. And sometimes when you're serving the Lord, trying to sow spiritual seeds, living for Him, you can lose heart. You can become weary. Why? Because you don't always see immediate rewards for your labor. And you can begin to ask yourself this question. Does it really matter that I'm doing what I'm doing? Does this really matter? Is it worth it? Well, if you've ever found yourself wondering that in your service of the Lord, trying to live a Christian life, have a Christian home, serve in the ministries of your local church, make a difference in your workplace or in your school, you begin to wonder, is this worth it? Is it worth it me living for the Lord? Let me give you three reasons it's worth it. Three reasons you ought to keep on keeping on and, and not grow weary in doing good. Reason number one, a time of reaping will come. Notice what he says there in verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, look what he says here, we will reap if we do not give up. In other words, this law of sowing and reaping, God has has woven into the fabric of the universe. And if you sow spiritual things, if you sow godly things, if you're planting uh, kingdom seeds, one day you will reap a reward. That's what he's saying here. We will reap. 
And that's good news. When you find yourself growing weary, keep hold of this promise that if you'll keep doing things for the glory of God, one day you will reap a great reward. A time of reaping will come. And listen to me, whether or not people notice you on this earth, we know that one day if we're faithful, when we get to heaven we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You will reap if you don't give up. Let me give you another reason that we should keep on keeping on when we find ourselves weary or losing heart. Others are benefited. Look what Paul writes there in verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So if you're going to sow spiritual seeds, that means you're going to do things for others. You're going to prioritize others, invest in others, encourage others, help others, minister to others. So wait, who should we help? Everybody we can. He used the word everyone here. That's pretty, uh, pretty expansive, isn't it? Let, let, us, let us do good to everyone. And then he says, especially to the household of faith. In other words, if you can't serve your brother and sister in Christ, who can you serve, right? That, that's his point there. But if you will continue to sow seeds even when you're weary, guess what? Other people's lives will be blessed, and that's worth it, Right? There's a third reason here that you ought to keep on keeping on when you feel weary. The Lord is glorified. God is glorified. Over in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes some words that are really relevant to this passage in Galatians 6. He writes, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Then he says, You are serving the Lord Christ. In other words, if you are sowing spiritual seed, you're anticipating a reward one day, and that's good. And and if you're sowing spiritual seeds, living for Jesus, you're benefiting other folks, and that's good. But the greatest thing about sowing spiritual seeds is this. God gets glory from your life. Is there anything more important than that? That God be magnified and and glorified through your life. Remember, as you are sowing seeds, as you are doing good, even when you're weary, even when you lose heart, you're serving ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't give up. You see, when you find yourself weary, and you ask yourself the question, is it worth it? The answer is yes. But let me... Let me suggest a better question to ask when you're weary. A better question is this. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? And the answer is yes. A thousand times yes. He's worthy of our labor in the kingdom. Sowing spiritual seeds for the glory of his great name. So, do not grow weary in doing Good. Keep on keeping on for Jesus. You are making a difference. You will make a difference. Live for his glory. Number six, another admonition from this text. Lift high the cross of Christ. Lift high the cross of Christ. In this text, Paul indicts the false teachers in two ways. It says there in verse 11... 
See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, scholars believe he's writing with large letters because he had a, a, a vision issue. He couldn't see real well. So he had to write with large letters so he could see what he's writing. We're, we're not sure about that, but some believe that's the case. We talked about uh, Paul's eyesight earlier in our study of Galatians. But he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Then he says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, you've heard the, the background here. Paul had gone into uh, the region of Galatia, preached the gospel. Folks got saved. He gathered them together. Churches were started. He gave them some basic instructions about church and about serving Jesus. Then he left and went back to his home church of Antioch in Syria. After Paul left, false teachers began to infiltrate the churches that he started. And, and they said something like this. Hey, we've heard that you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's great, but if you really want to make sure you're right with God, if you really want God's favor, you also need to keep the Jewish law. You need to be circumcised and, and have the feasts and festivals and, and, and keep the Jewish law if you want to make sure that you're right with God. In other words, they were adding on to the gospel. The gospel is we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They were teaching, well, yeah, it's Jesus plus your adherence to the law. It's Jesus plus your religious works that save you. And Paul's trying to say that is a different gospel. That is a, a, an abomination when you compare that to the true gospel. But look what he does here in verses 11 and 12. He points out uh, the, the false teacher's motivation. He says they were teaching these false things, verse uh, 12, so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, these Judaizers, they were called, were not, were not condemned for teaching you need to be circumcised to be saved. They were celebrated by the Jews. The Jews were saying, yes, that's a great message to preach. You are, you are maintaining the roots of our Judaism against this, this infiltration, this new message about this Messiah named Jesus. So these false teachers were celebrated for teaching works-based salvation. He says the reason they're doing it is to avoid persecution. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would be persecuted just like I have been, Paul is saying. But he also indicts the false teachers for something else. He says that they were teaching false things so that they could boast in their converts and win the praise of others. Look what he says there in verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law... But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So he's saying, these false teachers, they don't even keep the law perfectly. But they expect you to. He's saying the reason they want you to, to sign up for Judaism is so that they can keep a tally. They say, look at how our teaching is spreading. Look at our converts. They were boasting in the people that bought into their false teaching. And Paul brings this discussion to conclusion when he highlights what he boasts in. Paul understood that he had broken God's law. Paul understood that the standard is perfection and he fell short of that standard. Paul understood that he needed a Savior. And he understood that Jesus Christ was that Savior. So look what Paul boasts in in verse 14. Love this verse. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. I'm not boasting in converts. I'm not boasting in my religious adherence or my strong record of religious works. He said, I understand I'm not good enough to be saved. I understand Jesus is my only hope. So I boast in the cross. You see, Paul's only boast was Christ crucified because his only hope was Christ crucified. That's why he boasted in the cross. Because he knew without the cross, he would not be saved. Tom Schreiner writes, Those who boast in the cross put all their confidence in what Christ has done for them. They acknowledge that salvation is holy of the Lord. It's all his doing. It's all grace poured out on us through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, I will boast in the cross. Think about it like this. Let's bring it to 2018. Can you imagine where you and I would be were it not for the cross? What if Jesus had chosen not to go to the cross? To take our sin on himself. To take the wrath of God that you and I deserve. To die in our place as our substitute. What if he had not gone to the cross? We would be lost and in our sins and headed for an eternity of of separation from God in hell where we would endure his just punishment against our sin. Can you imagine where you and I would be were it not for the cross? So if we're in here today and we are rejoicing in our forgiveness and our eternal life and our relationship with God, we're not boasting in us. We're boasting what Christ has done, which means we should celebrate the cross. Look what he says there in verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Because the cross, because Jesus died and shed his blood, the grip of the world has, has, has been loosened on my life. It no longer has a hold on me. I'm free now to serve God and live for Jesus. Sin no longer has dominion over me. Now I can serve him in perfect freedom. We should celebrate all that the cross means for our lives. One of my favorite hymns growing up, Still one of my favorite hymns today. It says, years I spent in vanity and pride. Listen. Caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary. Then the chorus goes, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. Listen, there my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. We should celebrate the cross. If it were not for the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I would have no hope. He died on the cross for our sins. He shed his blood. He died in our place. And after that, it gets even better. After he died on the cross and was buried early on the third day, he rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death. And he's the Savior for all that will trust in him, so we should boast in the cross. Let me give you a seventh thought from this passage about these final words that Paul shares. Remember, it's about souls. Remember, it's about souls. Look what Paul writes in verse 15. For neither circumcision or counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new 
creation. Why, why does Paul say that circumcision or uncircumcision don't really count for anything? Here's his point. Trusting in your moral performance or religious adherence will leave you unchanged. Can I tell you this? There are people in our world who are very, very religious who've never been changed by Jesus. Very religious, but they've never been changed because religion doesn't save you. Moral effort doesn't save you. Good works don't change you. You need to be changed by Jesus. And trusting in Jesus will make you brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he has, listen, he has made you a brand new person, a brand new creation. Only Jesus can do that. Religious ritual won't do that. In fact, through the years, I've uh, had people say something like this to me. Pastor Wade, I know I need to get serious about Jesus and about the church. And I, I will one day, but i got some things in my life I need to clean up first. And, and when I clean everything up and get everything just so, then I'll get serious about the Lord. Here's the problem with that. You can't clean up your life. I can't clean up my life in my own strength. You see, you don't clean up your life to come to Jesus. Listen, you come to Jesus to clean up your life. See the difference there? You come to Jesus to clean up your life. And if you'll trust in him as your Lord and Savior, he'll forgive you for all your sin, and he'll make you a brand new person. That's what Jesus does. He saves souls, makes people new. And here's what that means for us in this room. Our passion and focus should be devoted to helping people find new life in Christ. It's not about circumcision, uncircumcision. It's about new creation. And every time we share the gospel of Jesus Christ and someone believes in Jesus, they're forgiven and made brand new. And can I remind you, there are many souls right here in Hernando and in DeSoto County that have never been made brand new, never been saved. There are millions and millions of souls at the ends of the earth. People who are lost and in their sins and need to hear the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ so they can be made brand new and forgiven of their sins and reconciled to God. But many of them have never even heard the name of Jesus. So our passion focus as believers, as churches, must be sharing this good news so people can find new life in Christ. Listen to me. Is there anything more thrilling than being able to witness someone finding new life? Being made brand new, reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Remember, it's about souls. Which leads to the eighth admonition. Paul has encouraged the Galatian churches and encouraged our church to care for each other. 
to prioritize the ministry of the Word of God, to continue to love your pastor and staff well, to sow spiritual seeds, to not grow weary in doing good, to lift high the cross of Christ, to remember it's about souls and eighth and last, we're reminded that we all need the Lord. We all need the Lord. Look how Paul closes this letter. Verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So everyone that believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're God's true people, the Israel of God, the church. May peace be upon those who are standing for the truth. And then he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That verse always kind of amuses me because Paul's saying this, Listen, I've been through some tough stuff, and it would be really nice if I don't have to deal with this anymore. All right, I've been persecuted, it's been difficult, so would y'all fix this issue in the church and get the false teachers out of there so I don't have to write any more letters like this? Would you deal with this, please? But look how he closes the letter in verse 18. The grace, everyone say grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. As is often the case, Paul closes his letter with a benediction, where he pronounces God's grace upon the people. You know what grace is? Grace, the Greek word's charis, and, and, and grace is simply God's unmerited favor. It's God's undeserved blessing. It's everything good that God does for us and in us and through us. It's all good. And we deserve none of it. If there's anything good, it's, it's grace, right? Here's the point. We are who we are by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes this statement in verses 10 and 11. He says, listen, I am who I am by the grace of God. He says, I'm working hard on your behalf. I'm working to labor for the gospel. But it's not even me working. It's God's strength working in and through me. It's grace. That's what Paul's saying. It's God's unmerited favor. And I want you to know that if there's anything good in your life, it's grace. Undeserved favor. Anything good in my life, it's grace. Unmerited favor. I'm not where I need to be as a follower of Christ, but praise the Lord, I'm not where I used to be. You know why? Grace. Grace. We are who we are by the grace of God, which leads to this statement. This is what I want you to just draw in close and listen for a moment. We will become who we need to be by the grace of God. We will become individual Christians, families, local churches. We will become who we need to be by the grace of God. So if there's growth and development in your life, guess what? It's going to be grace. Amen? In other words, we need the Lord. And may we all maintain complete dependence upon the Lord. What a, what a wonderful final word for, for me and my family. For the point, we desperately need Jesus every step of the way. Apart from him, the Bible says, we can do nothing. And so, a proper response to this sermon is just to stay needy. 
Just to recognize how much you need Jesus every step of the way. Here's the point. It was the point last week. Same point. A local church with the right priorities will be a healthy, powerful church. That's what this passage is about. If we we will have these eight realities as realities in our churches, we will experience health and power to push back the darkness with the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Um, can I just tell you, I hate crying in front of people. I, I hate it. it, uh, it it's just not who I am. I don't like to be emotional in front of people. It's very difficult. But I want to tell you something, because we've shed lots of tears. Last service, in between services, the last few weeks, we've shed lots of tears. And, and the tears are tears of sadness for sure. As we transition to a new ministry assignment, we are grieving. We will miss you greatly. We love you dearly. And so there are tears of sadness. But I also want you to hear this. These tears are also tears of joy. Because when we look back over 16 years, you know what we see? God's grace. I'm just grateful. He's allowed me and my family to be a, just a part of it. To have a front row seat to see Him at work. So as we look back, we recognize it's God's hand, it's God's grace. And as we move forward, we know we need God's hand. We need God's grace. May we maintain that dependence upon Him so that we can live and minister and make a difference, expand His kingdom across the street and around the world for His glory.